0: Continue studying now through this, this incredible letter that again we've mentioned many times. Paul Wright wrote to the church in Rome. Many he hadn't met, most he hadn't met. He hadn't ever been to Rome. But he's sharing his heart as he is writing this letter, what God has laid on his heart to share with them. And he comes right out at the very beginning in chapter one. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. And salvation, as we have discussed and we've talked over and over again, this, this, this t- total transformation that takes place in the life of a believer, a born-again believer. It's not something that takes place sometime some off in the distant future. We are born again. We come into this eternal life, this relationship with God, which changes our relationship with so many other things. First of all, it changes our relationship with God. With our creator, Paul went into great detail sharing with us through the first couple of chapters that we looked at together that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Because of that, we are enemies of God. But because we have been justified, justified by faith, we have peace with God. And that goes beyond just the no longer fighting with God, no longer enemies of God. We are actually children of God. Brought into this unbelievable, unspeakable relationship with our creator. Totally changed from what it was before. But we've looked at over the last couple of weeks as we've been in chapter 6. Looking at the fact that not only our relationship with God has changed. But our relationship with sin has changed. Before sin was our master. Before coming into this saving relationship with, with the Lord Jesus. Sin controlled our lives. Sin was master, but now sin no longer has power over us, no longer has control over us. That relationship has been changed. Today, we're going to look at another step or another relationship that has been changed in this process, this sanctification process that is going on in our lives. Our relationship with the law has changed. If you'll remember last week when we were going through chapter 6, I said we're going to come back to this next week. When we read in chapter 6, follow, look with me there, verse 14. It says, For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Prior to this, again, as, as human beings, we were under law. But now our relationship has changed. We are under grace. And Paul addresses that immediately because people are going to think right off the bat, okay, I'm not under law anymore. That must mean I can just sin all I want. He says, that's just ridiculous. If you think about that process, and we talked about that in depth last week, that it's just ridiculous. Why would you put yourself back into that slavery to sin when you've been freed from it? Now, as we've mentioned many times as we go through this, it's important as we're reading through, and I encourage you, and I would encourage you again, a great thing to be doing over these next few weeks is to read chapters 6, 7, and 8 as a whole and read through them regularly because they do all flow together. The entire letter does, but specifically these three chapters. There is no chapter break from where we left off last week as we begin chapter 7. He continues, now, if you would, we talked last week, remember, he keeps on asking this question, or don't you know, or don't you know, after he makes a statement, and he made that statement in verse 14, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Verse 16, he says, or don't you know, and he talked to that. Now, as we begin chapter 7, we have another one of those, or don't you knows, as we continue. So follow along with me. Chapter 7, verse 1, or do you not know, brethren, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives. For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he is living, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning the husband. So then, if while her husband is living, she is joined to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law so that she is not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. Paul starts off uh, this, this chapter, this as we're looking at today, with a general principle and a, a worldly illustration to help point out that principle. And the general principle is that as long as somebody is alive, they are ruled by law. But when that person dies, the law is no longer in effect. And that doesn't mean just the law, the, the law that God gave to Moses, the Mosaic law or the moral law. As a matter of fact... Just a little side note, in in verse 1 there, it says, Or do you not know, brethren, for I am speaking to those who know the law? That the isn't there in the original language. Who know law. And and it's a general principle, and it really makes sense. I mean, we could just break it right down to it. If somebody, let's say a mass murderer, kills 20 people, and he goes to trial, he's convicted of that crime, and he is sentenced to the death penalty. He is under law. And as he was walking out of that courtroom, he drops dead of a heart attack. He is no longer under the law. Kind of a hard way to get out of it. But that law now has, no longer has jurisdiction. That death sentence that was on him no longer has jurisdiction because he is now dead. Now, Paul uses a little less morbid example when he speaks of a husband and wife. Now, very clearly, this is not a message on marriage and divorce and that type of stuff. Paul is clearly just using this as an illustration to speak of law and death. And he gives this illustration and it makes sense, okay? Under bound by that until death. Once death occurs, the other one is free. To Mary, And Paul now takes this to the next level when it comes to us in our own personal spiritual application, beginning in verse 4. Therefore, that word tying it directly to what he just said. Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit to God. For while we were in the flesh... The sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law having died to that by which we were bound so that we serve in newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. I think it's important when, again, as we study through the word of God, little words, connecting words, we talk of conjunctions, we talk of those types of things. It's important to, to see the flow that Paul is saying. We're going to see this term, so that, used many times today. So that. He's saying that this is, there's a reason. Notice first here, therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, so that. There's a reason that this takes place. But firstly, he ties it directly to what we were just talking about. Remember, he was giving the illustration of a, of a, of a marriage. The, the, one of the spouses dies. The other is then free to be attached to another, to be joined to another. We have been made to die to the law through the body of Christ. This is an important thing that we shouldn't just gloss over real quickly. It's important that we die to the law. It's not a, some trivial thing. If you'll remember, if, turn with me back with me real quickly to chapter 3. Because every one of us is under law as, as a human being. He makes that very clear for us in verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. Note, so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. Verse 20, because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. That is the situation that everyone finds themselves in. Under the law it tells us that we stand guilty, accountable and guilty, before a holy and righteous God. And there's nothing through the law that we can do to fix that. No one can or will be justified in his sight through the law. But, as we see here, you were made to die to the law through the body of Christ. Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 2, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, here it is, so that... We might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. The reason, a reason, we bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we now, dead to sin, alive to God in Christ Jesus, as we saw in chapter 6 of Romans. And here Paul, in chapter 7, says we're dead to the law Through the body of Jesus Christ. Now here again, reason, so that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead. Picking up on this previous illustration of being married, released now because of through death to the law, we can now be joined to Jesus. Joined to King Jesus. Joined to the one risen from the dead, our risen Lord and Savior. Joined to him. The Bible in several places refers to the body of Christ, you and I as born again believers, as the bride of Christ. Now, I know there's a several of you macho guys that has a problem with that illustration. What do you mean, bride? I'm a man. Her Get over that. It's an illustration. It's an analogy. It is not at all telling us that we as men need to get in touch with our feminine side. We don't have one. If Somebody ever tells you, by the way, guys, if somebody says to you, you need to get in touch with your feminine side, what you need to do is take out your cell phone and call your wife because that's your feminine side. But that's not, obviously, again, that's not the point of this either. The problem that we can run into in this is if we close ourselves off to that idea, we miss the beautiful picture that it is for us. As the bride of Christ, the, the wedding that you would, that, as you would. It speaks of that wedding, that day in Revelation chapter 19. Again, speaking of Jesus and us as the church. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. We have this picture, this wedding feast, this wedding that is going to take place again one day. And when we look at the whole process that took place in leading up to a wedding in the Jewish culture, especially in Jesus' time and before. It really is a beautiful picture. and We see the parallels very clearly. First of all, what started the whole thing off was the groom providing a bride price for his bride to basically, if you would, purchase her. And we know that we have been purchased, not with silver or gold, but with the precious blood of our king. But then from that moment all the way until the wedding day, that that engagement period, it would be just as though they were actually married, although they weren't living together. There was a time that it actually took an official divorce proceeding to break off a marriage at that point from that moment. And we know that even though we are not together with our king right now, as we will be in heaven, we are assured of that day. It is just as though it has already taken place. And during the time between the the, the bride price being paid and the actual day of the ceremony, two things were taking place. The groom went to prepare a place for his bride, to prepare a home for his bride. And the reason the date wasn't set when they got engaged is because the wedding wouldn't happen until the father said, Son, the place is ready, go get your bride. And we know, Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And I will come back and I will bring you to myself. But he says, we don't know that day or hour. We don't know when that's coming. We need to be, we need to always be ready. So what is our job? What was the bride doing that during that time? Preparing her wedding garments. Preparing for that day. And again, we see a beautiful picture of this now as we put this all together, meaning not for us. In Revelation 19, it says to clothe herself in fine linen. And then it tells us what that is, the righteous acts of the saints. Now, I don't know if there's anybody else that all of a sudden a light goes off and says, now, wait a second, doesn't the Bible say that my righteous acts are filthy rags? So does that mean that on that day, I'm going to be dressed in filthy rags? I'm glad you asked, because no. No, that's not it at all. As a matter of fact, we're gonna see as we unpack this and unfold this today, bottom line is he picks out the garments. He is the one. In Ephesians chapter two, it says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. The garments have all been picked out already. It's a matter of us walking in them. We're gonna come back to that At the end today, tying this all together. But that's that 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 beautiful picture that we see there. Now, one just one last thing just was running through, bouncing through my head yesterday, thinking of this analogy. I know for most brides, they've been dreaming of and thinking of that wedding day since they were little girls, planning it and thinking all through it, and everything like that. And I think, you know, what an exciting thing, you know, all the way through. But you know who else, maybe not as equally, although I would, I'd maybe argue that, maybe as equally excited for that day as the little girl is her dad. And I, I think of that day. I can't, I can't wait for that day. And I don't know about for any of you other dads out there that might be able to relate to what I'm saying here is, I am so excited for that day. And there's only two things that ever get in the way of that excitement, and that's the who and the how much. That's it. If it wasn't for that, I wouldn't have any, I wouldn't, I would be so excited for that day. And when I think of our heavenly father, the who, hey, and the
1: how much, he doesn't care. So he is so
0: excited for that day.
1: Well, a little bit back on the road here. Again, as we see this, therefore, my
0: brethren, so you also have been made to die to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined to another, joined to our king, to him who is raised from the dead. Notice now, in order that we might bear fruit to God. Here again, it keeps, it keeps going with this flow. And now, in order that we might bear fruit. Guys, that means we now can. Prior to this, prior to being born again, there was nothing that we could do in our own flesh and in our own energy that could bear fruit to God that would please and honor God. There was nothing in our own efforts that we could. As a matter of fact, everything that we tried to do in our own efforts was sinful, and it led to death, which it tells us in verse 5, for while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit to death. Now, we see that word bear fruit, bear fruit in those two verses. Remember last week, if you were here with us, that in verse 21 and 22 of chapter 6, there's a word that's translated in the New American Standard here as benefit. That word literally is fruit. And so when we see and we put these two together, it's saying the same thing. Therefore, what benefit, chapter 6, verse 21, therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things which you are now ashamed? What fruit? for the outcome of those things is death. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, your fruit, resulting in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. While we're in our flesh, no matter what we try to do, it's only going to bear fruit unto death because it's tainted, because it's, it's, it, it cannot please the Father. And Jesus said, you'll know, will be known by our fruits. You can look around and you can see fruit. Matthew 7, 17 and 18, Jesus said, so every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree, note, cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. It's impossible. Can't produce good fruit as a bad tree. But now... (laughs) But now, verse 6, we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound. We've been released from that. Now we can bear fruit. Notice as he continues, so that we serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Again, that contrast. Our relationship with the law has changed. Prior, we were trying to serve God, to please him in the oldness of the letter, following the letter of the law, externals, legalism. There were many people running around in the day of Jesus as we read about it in the Gospels that not only, not only tried to externally follow all these rules, but wanted to make sure that we followed them to the, the nth degree, so they added more rules and more rules and more rules. And then again, it becomes a pride issue of, look at all of the things that I'm doing, and we see them, and they're, they're called the Pharisees in the New Testament. They were so impressed with how well they kept the externals. Paul was a Pharisee. And we see that clearly laid out in, in Philippians when he's talking about that. Not only how much pride he used to have, but even when he looks back on it, he remembers the pride. He said, man, when I was like, I, I was blameless in that. I was like the Pharisee of Pharisees. And he says, but now? Now that I'm born again, now that I know Jesus, now that I, now that I understand this, I consider all of that... All of that effort, all of that pride, all of that everything, he said, literally, considered as a pile of manure compared to now what I know, knowing Jesus. Now, as we continue to unpack what this means, to be dead to the law, I want to go back to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 and work through it from that angle. Jesus, on the Sermon of the Mount, Said this, do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. First thing that we have to get out of the way is this idea that when Jesus came, he removed some of the law, did away with some of the law. He made it extremely clear. I didn't come to abolish, destroy, replace, or in any way contradict the law. He goes to the point that even says in, our, in the New American Standard, the smallest letter or stroke. If you're a King James person, that's where the jot and tittle come in. I didn't come to remove even a comma. The smallest, the smallest stroke of the pen from the law. And that is extremely important. Because so many people say, you know, it's not that big a deal if we just change this or just take this, this part out because of who we are today or where we are. That was then, this, so we can remove this part, guys. We can't take. Do you realize how important a comma is? Let me illustrate it this way, and I'm just I'm just going to pick on the ladies. You're shopping. You're at the mall. And you're walking through and you're with a couple of your friends and you see them. The shoes you've always wanted. you're like, oh, they're perfect. And they will go so perfect with that outfit that I just bought last week. And it's just, oh my goodness. And you go in and you look at it and the price is $250. And you're like, oh, my husband would kill me if I bought those shoes, especially without talking to him. So you send him a text and you say, honey, Darling, sweetheart, <laughs> I love you so much and I can't wait to get home later on and cook you your favorite meal and, and I know that you love me, so I'm coming and I'm, I'm asking you, I finally found the shoes, I want them, I won't ask for anything else, da-da-da-da-da. They're only $250, can I please get them? And the text comes back, no, comma, PRICE TOO HIGH in all
1: capital letters. That says one thing, doesn't it? Take away the comma. No
0: price too high. (laughs) Score. After service last night, somebody came up to me and said, you know, it kind of changes too when you say, uh, let's go eat, comma, grandma. But anyway, (laughs) Jesus said, I didn't come to remove any part of the law. That's not the point. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, if we're going to boil it all down, he was asked, what is the most, what is the greatest commandment? And he said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. He said, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself.
1: And He said, on these two, hang all of the law and the prophets. Jesus said, I'm going to boil it down for you
0: really simply. It's about love. Love God with all that you are. Everything that is within you, love God and love others. If you really go through it, and we're not going to do that today, but if you look at anything that is, that is written in the law of God, it all comes down to that. If we love We won't do the things that we're not supposed to do, and we will do the things that we're supposed to do. It's all about love. Matter of fact, Paul writes in Romans 13, love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is, note, the fulfillment of the law. And Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish it. I came to fulfill it and to fulfill every part of it. How did did he do that? How does he do that? Well, first, there is the part of the law that is no longer applicable to you and I. That is the ceremonial law. That was laid out in the, in the Old Testament for the Jewish people. It covered all of the sacrificial system. It covered all the festivals, all the new moons, all of the Sabbath regulations, all of that kind of stuff. And the Bible tells us that Jesus fulfilled that effectually. He, that was all pointing to him. His death on the cross in our place, everything pointed to his life, death, burial, and resurrection, all of the ceremonial laws. Paul says it in Colossians chapter 2, therefore no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to festival or new moon or Sabbath day, which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So the ceremonial law he accomplished now, there are those, though, that will say, okay, but now that I'm under grace, the law, the law doesn't apply to me. I can do whatever I want. And Paul has very clearly laid it out to us that, that, that freedom from the law's bondage does not mean we are free to do what the law forbids. That is not at all the point. Jesus Accomplished the ceremonial law, but he followed perfectly the moral law. All the rest of the law, he followed perfectly. Absolutely, totally, perfectly. The law that you and I are to follow and don't, he did. And then the righteous, just penalty for not following the law, he satisfied absolutely when he took your penalty and mine upon himself on the cross. But beyond that, he also, as we just spoke of, he revealed the law to us completely, that it's about love. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. What he's saying with that is the commandment itself, the the heart behind the commandment, never changed. That was always God's heart. It was always about love. But Jesus is now saying, as I have loved you, that is how you are to love love. One another. And how do we do that? Because he empowers us to do it. He in us. That's the whole thing we've been talking about these last couple of weeks. That is what sanctification is. Christ in us. It is not about us imitating him. It is about him in us and living and loving through us. It's not our holiness following after his. It's his holiness through us. We're going to see this in a couple of weeks when we get to chapter 8, but turn ahead with me there real quickly. Romans chapter 8, verse 3. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, notice, so that... The requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. He empowers us supernaturally. It is he in us that allows us, as we've talked in chapter 6, to walk in the newness of life. And here now note that we serve in the newness of the Spirit. It's important that we see this verse 6. But now we have been released from the law having died to that by which we were bound so that and it doesn't say so that we can do whatever we want. Notice it says so that we serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. What Paul is saying through this when we die to the law it's it's not
1: it's the how that changes. Not the what. The law doesn't die. We die. We now follow. Notice it says we serve in the newness of life. We
0: still do, but it's in the newness of the spirit, not in the oldness of the letter. We now lovingly abiding in the spirit,
1: follow what God has for us instead of legalistically adhering to it in the flesh. It's a byproduct. It's a byproduct of of he in
0: us. His life in us. His holiness in us. His love in us. And our love as a response to him. Jesus said it. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Very plain. Very simple. Now, depending on if you grew up in a legalistic religious background, you might... You might have grown up thinking Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. But that's not his heart. It's if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. That's, it's, just, it, it, it's a byproduct of this amazing new relationship that we have. And our relationship with the law has changed. Doesn't mean that we no longer follow the law. It doesn't mean it's no longer applicable to us. It now means that we can because it's Christ in us.
1: We lovingly abide instead of legalistically adhere. It's changed the entire scenario. You see, the problem isn't the law, the problem is me. The problem is you, the problem is sin. And, and in our flesh, we want
0: to wrestle with that. We want to argue with that. We want to have a problem with that. Again, Paul anticipating the next response in verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. And this commandment, which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me. For sin, taking an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, killed me. People Drawing this conclusion, say, okay, well, so I'm I'm dead to sin, I'm dead to the law, so therefore the law must equal sin. And Paul is saying that's that's a ridiculous conclusion. Matter of fact, the law serves an extremely important purpose in all of it, and this law isn't sin. Again, the law isn't problem, sin is the problem. The law doesn't cause sin, the law exposes sin. A thermometer doesn't give you a fever. It tells you you have one. A mirror doesn't tell you your face is
1: dirty. I'm sorry, it doesn't make your face dirty. It tells you it is. (laughs) Paul is saying that sin grabs opportunity through the commandment. What does he
0: mean by that? Well, it's saying the commandment, when a law is given, when somebody says don't, that stirs up within us. What do you mean don't? Or you to tell me, don't, stirs up within us that rebellious nature. You want to make sure somebody walks across your lawn? Put a sign on it that says, don't walk on the grass. You want to make sure somebody puts a grimy handprint on your window that you just cleaned? Put a sign on it that says, don't touch the glass. I read a story this week about a hotel that was built just right on the Gulf in Galveston, and literally right up to the shoreline. There was not a beach that was there. It was literally kind of an overhang cliff that was right there, I mean, right up to the edge. And on the bottom floor, they had the restaurants and stores and shops and everything, and then starting on the second floor were the rooms. And they were concerned that people would want to fish off of the balcony because it's right there. And the problem, too, with that is, you know, you're casting out, and the wind's coming in, and so you got weights and everything on it. Cast that out, the blows back in, and the weights hit the windows, all of that kind of stuff. Hooks coming in from the, into another room, all of this other kind of stuff. So they said, well, I know it'll fix it. We'll put a sign that says, don't, don't fish from the balcony. Guess what? Clank, clunk, clunk, broken glass, hooks everywhere.
1: You know what they did to solve the problem? Took the signs away. No more problem. our rebellious nature that's the problem it's not the law it wasn't the
0: sign's fault the sign the sign wasn't the issue is the rebellious nature and paul says that's what's stirring that,
1: that that was the problem it's not that the law is sin then he says that sin again sin's the issue
0: sin is the one that deceives not the law Sin is what kills, not the law. Sin is the thing that tells you God is holding out on you. All of this stuff that God tells you, it's because he doesn't want you to have any fun. He's just, he's just this giant killjoy in the sky. And if you really want to have fun and really enjoy the life while you have it here, you can't listen to him. You got to chase after this. You got to go after this. You have to follow after this. But sin deceives Sin lies. It's clear. It's, it's, and it, the problem is, it's so obvious. And all of it, we look at this and we say, How doesn't everybody not understand this? Because the, the, the lies haven't changed. They're all the same. The world tells you if you want to be happy, Don't be bound by what the Bible says about about a sexual relationship with one person you're married to for the rest of your life. If you want to really be happy, have sex with whoever you want, whenever you
1: want. If that were true, prostitutes would be the happiest people on the planet. Money, fame, that's what will really make you happy. Look at the tabloids lately. You
0: look at you look at the lives of that. If that were true, the Hollywood elite would be the happiest people on the planet. But they're not. They're chasing after everything to get a, to to escape to get, and including suicide because they're so depressed. Partying—that is where you're going to have the most fun. Just party, party, party. If that were true, alcoholics and heroin addicts would be the happiest people on the planet. Really, if you want to be happy, make it all about you. You go after you. You look out for number one. You chase it down. It doesn't matter who you have to step over or step on. You get to the top. No matter what, it's all about you. That's where you'll have happiness. If that were true, narcissists would be the happiest people on the planet. Instead, they're the loneliest people. Nobody wants to hang out with them. It's all about them.
1: God has a different plan, and it's a better one. Because it's true. He
0: says, do nothing from selfish ambition or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourself. You want to find true happiness? You want to find joy unspeakable that you've never experienced in your life? Follow Jesus with everything that you have and put others' needs ahead of your own. Don't worry about yourself. God will take care of you. You focus on blessing and serving other people. You will have joy in your life. That you can't get anywhere else. I've shared this many times before, but it's a great reminder. I used to have a button I got in VBS when I was a kid: "Joy, Jesus first, others second, yourself last." J O Y, Jesus first, others second, yourself last. The world flips that all upside down. It gets yodg, <laughs> which is nonsense.
1: Doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Paul said, for me, the issue for me was coveting.
0: The world would tell me, and in my flesh, it would be like, why do they have that? I want that. That should be mine, and our flesh would jump
1: right on that. Yeah, that should be yours. But he said, now that I understand it, I realize. We look in
0: Philippians, and we see as he's talked about when he writes to Timothy, contentment. You know what? What?
1: He found true fulfillment, joy, happiness when he became content with whatever God had for him. Verse 12, so then
0: the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Again, the law isn't the issue. Therefore, did that which is good become a cause of death for me? May it never be. Rather, it was sin, in order that it might be shown to be sin by affecting my death through that which is good, so that, through the commandment, sin would become utterly sinful. What he's saying there again is, law doesn't cause death
1: any more than an MRI causes cancer. What law does is show... That, that I
0: have a problem. Just like if, if you went to, the, you're, you're asymptomatic, you have no symptoms whatsoever, you go to the doctor for a normal checkup, they, they test something, something seems a little funny, so they do an MRI and they find out that you have a problem. Are you mad at the MRI? No. It's not the MRI's fa- fault. The MRI didn't cause that. And that's what Paul is saying here. I didn't know I was dying until the law revealed I had a terminal condition. And I also didn't realize that all of the efforts that I was trying to do to please God and do all of this kind of stuff in my own flesh, which was building up pride in myself, all of this other kind of stuff was actually causing it to spread as opposed to controlling it and to reel it in. Again, in our own flesh. And we're going to continue next week, Lord willing, if he should, we will continue on next week in chapter 7. We're going to see Paul continues to work this, this thing out because it's a constant battle that we have. We, even as born again believers, we can slip back into this thing of, yes, I know that I'm saved by grace through faith. But I can please God by doing this in my own energy, in my own strength. I can do this and I can, I, can, I can produce this and I can go off
1: into this direction and we can get so sucked into it, God will be so much happier with me if I could just do this. I think it needs to be said, and please hear my heart behind it, because I know I've, I've
0: heard so many people, I mean, always chasing after the next thing to try to, again, get to that point. The, the books, the seminars, the five steps to freedom and the 10 steps to holiness. And, and if I, it's, I'm just one book or one seminar away from really getting it together and I can please God. And again, not that. Please hear me. It's not that it's all wrong and it's all bad, but I have a question that bugs me when I think about that. And I hear the next new thing is, why
1: is there always a new thing? If they worked, we wouldn't need a new thing. If that was truly the answer, we wouldn't need another book, another seminar, another, another thing. Guys, we don't. We have the book right here. And when we truly understand and we get this thing about sanctification, and I got to say,
0: this has really been a, a personal journey for me even over the last few weeks that has been such a blessing for me as God has just opened this up even more for me and an understanding that I can grab a hold of even more. It really is that
1: simple. This mystery, Christ in me. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Hebrews 10, 14, for by one
0: offering, he has perfected forever those who are
1: being sanctified. One offering perfected forever. It's that simple. I've, I've often confessed my,
0: my shortcomings with you guys, and here's another one. I can't dance. I, it doesn't matter what kind of dance it is. I can't,
1: I can't shuffle. I can't slide. I can't, I can't even two-step. I'm so glad there's only one step. He has perfected forever. My job is to follow his lead. It's that simple. Christ in me. We spoke of this before, talking about the garments that we put on. Again, he's laid them out before
0: us. So if he's laid it out before us, then it's our job to to run down and and to pick it all up. And again, we got to be careful because all of a sudden before you know it, we're chasing down again now in our own efforts, fall slipping right back into it. No, again, we come back to the law, and we talked about the fact that he accomplished it. He followed it. He satisfied it. He revealed it. He empowers us. Guys, he did all of that so that he can adorn his bride exquisitely. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her. Who does the sanctifying work? He does. He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Yes, as we said earlier, he lines it all out for us, that we would walk in them filled with his spirit, he in us, his holiness in us, his life in us, that he would clothe us, present us.
1: No spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Have you looked in the mirror lately? See any spots or wrinkles? (laughs) Lying mirror. what it says no spot or wrinkle or any such thing I know mirrors lie I can tell you one specifically I know
0: lies every morning and that's the one in my bathroom That my wife looks into every day because what she sees when she looks in the mirror isn't what I see and I know she's the most beautiful woman that walks this planet and that's not what that
1: mirror tells her because she tells me what the mirror says lion mirror. No spot or wrinkle holy and blameless. I don't care what the the
0: mirror of the world, the mirror of the law might be telling you as, as you look into that. I'm telling you, Jesus said, you are spotless. You are holy and blameless because he made you that way. He became sin so
1: that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That is who we are. And that day is coming. And we are in a process to get there. And again, guys, I just want to
0: reinforce this. It's that simple. Him in us. We allow that process to
1: continue to work in and through us. His holiness, his righteousness, his goodness in us. Because that marriage supper is coming. That day is coming.
0: The Bible says, blessed are those who are invited to that marriage supper. Guys, there's only one way to get an invitation to that. You have to be born again. And if you're here today and you are not a born-again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you've never fully surrendered your life to him and trusted in him and him alone for your salvation, you can get an invitation today. An invitation that can't be repealed, but you have to, you have to make a decision to receive the free gift. But there's only one way as well to be dressed properly for that day. And guys, again, we can't do that in our own efforts. We have to surrender to this glorious truth
1: that it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you for this glorious and amazing truth. And Lord, our prayer today is that though this is a mystery,
0: though this is your word clearly tells us this is a mystery beyond our ability to fully comprehend, Lord, would you bury this truth even deeper in our hearts today? If you're here today and you have never taken that step to make Jesus Lord of your life, it is a matter of going before him in your heart right now, responding to the Holy Spirit, as he speaks directly to your heart. You just say, God, I I am a sinner, and I need a Savior. I know my life isn't pleasing to you. I know no matter how hard I try, I can't fix this.
1: But Jesus, I believe that you took it all, that you took all of my sin upon you.
0: So I ask you now to come into my life. Forgive me. Wash it all away. Give me
1: eternal life. Come into my life and you call the shots from now on. i follow after you. Lord Jesus, we praise you today. And as
0: we prepare our hearts to, to share in your table, as we celebrate communion together this morning, Lord Jesus, would you just meet with us right here, right where we are, Lord, we, again, we just say thank you. Thank you for who
1: you are and all that is ours in you.